Welcome to the Heart of Racing with Neil Breen and Will Friedman. Well, rarely has racing seen a rise like it, if ever. Eight years ago, in her 20s, she arrived in Australia doing what young people do, exploring the world. She took up a job with Gay Waterhouse, worked there for six months, quickly went to Melbourne and worked for Kieran Ma. Kieran Ma was so impressed, he sent her to Sydney to establish his Sydney stable. Then there were winners and more winners and more winners. She went out on her own. She found Zaki at a tried sale, the Tattersall sale in the UK. She produced Mwanga, who won her first Group 1 in the Rose Hill Guineas. The winners just kept coming. She's had more than 40 stake successes, 171 winners alone in the 22-23 season. It's made her a household name. She's a sensation in racing. Welcome to the heart of racing, Annabelle Neesham. Well, Annabelle, when you read it out, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Racing's easy. <laughs> I actually didn't realize it had 40 stakes winners actually, but, um, yeah, it's been a, came here, as you said, on a working holiday visa expected to be here for a year. And yeah, I think seven years, nearly eight years later, I'm still here. Why did you come? Um, I actually was trying to get a, an assistant trainer job in the UK and I just couldn't, couldn't get one. Why? Just, even a pupil assistant, which basically really? just harrow the, harrow the gallops. Why? Why couldn't you? I don't know. Um, just tough, tough to find a to find the, the right sort of opportunity there. I wouldn't wasn't even getting responses to the adverts I was re- applying to. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go and spend a year in a, in Australia, a year in America, and then I'll go back. I'd been re- I'd been rejected off your course. The, the yeah, you, flying start. The, the flying start twice. I tried to apply. That's for the twice. Godolphin where they uh, yeah. pick up young people. So Will thought, did that. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll try and do my own and and do my own flying start and and. You know, get it. I was actually, I was, I've always been really horsey, but I was pretty late into racing. So uh, I thought I'd better go and get a bit more experience and use it as, as an opportunity to, to sort of travel the world a bit. So that's why and initially I came out here. A friend of mine that I lived with at uni, who, Tom Ward, who was the one really that got me into racing, he, he got me the job with Gay. So he was with uh, John O'Shea for a while, was Tom? Yeah, he came he was over here. assistant trainer to John for a couple of years. I think in that transition when John mm. went to Godolphin, um, and his girlfriend, who's now his wife, was working for Gay at the time. So, um, so he did some sort of introduction, and Gay said, "Yeah, yeah, exactly." And they said, "Well, initially it was, you know, you can um, do a little bit in the office and you can ride." And then when I got there, I I was mucking out, <laughs> and it took me about a week to pluck up the courage. So I've got my riding helmet and boots with me. Um, so then I started riding. Um, How long were you with Gay for? Six months. So I did three, I think it was three months in Sydney. And then when the carnival came around, she, um, sent me down there and they've obviously fill up their stables down there and they always send a few staff. So I was lucky enough to go down for the carnival then. And what were you doing? Were you hands on starting to like bits and pieces of training or were you just riding? What were you actually doing? Oh, well, in, in Sydney, um, obviously can't, I was only there for three months. So it must've only been two months that I ran a barn. Like, there was a little yeah. barn as you drive in, I think it was on Ascot street, that little, as you drive into the, to the race course, they've got, yeah. I don't know if they've still got them, but there was 10 boxes just hidden in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was sort of my little area uh, and I was riding and, um, and then when I went to Melbourne, yeah, I was riding and just doing Doing whatever. Doing whatever. And is that when you sort of met Kieran in Melbourne? Yeah, I sort of became pretty good mates with Dave Eustace and and then met Kieran. And um, I actually met Kieran in 
properly in the in the atrium bar in the Crown <laughs> Casino. And he said, oh, I'm, oh, oh, I want to give you a job. And I said, oh, doing what? He said, whatever you want. You just write your job description. So at that time, I was sort of weighing up my options. And I had to, uh, I think it's slightly changed now, but I was on a working holiday visa and you can actually only do six months. Yeah. And then you had to move on or go and do your farm work. Or you had to, you had, could do a year without your farm work. Mm. Um, but if you wanted to do a second year, you have to do 90 do days. Months, you can't, you couldn't do a whole year for someone back yeah. then. I think you can now. You had to only do six months. So I either had to get sponsored by Gay or, um, or sort of move on. Um, so I was weighing up my options, but, um, so you moved on to Kieran, moved on to Kieran. Did you have to do the farm work in the end or did you put a sidestep on it? Um, swerved it. Probably I, got sponsored. I, uh, got sponsored. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so, so Kieran working for him in Melbourne was, was that where you learned to train properly? Like, yeah, I mean, it, I, this has all happened very fast. We're talking about what? 2018 here or something. Yeah, it did. Well, I lived with Dave. Um, so, you know, that was, you're completely engrossed in it. He would be doing the work list, sitting on the sofa and, you know, you, you pick up so much when you're, when you're living with someone that's living and breathing it. Um, and then, you know, Dave, I think the first time I really got into it was when Dave went away to England for a month in the winter. So I sort of filled in and did, did his role, but Kieran was amazing like that. He just throw you in the deep end. I was doing, I, I loved bloodstock. I wasn't sure at that moment in time that I wanted to be a trainer or not. Yeah. But I was doing the sales for him. Um, so I'd go to all the sales. Um, I suppose it was like a runner, you know, you're always one step ahead of him pulling horses out. I wasn't necessarily selecting horses, but I was there sort of helping do organize the lists and what have you. So you get, you got to know a lot of the farm people. And you he's get, buying a lot. He was buying a lot. Well, actually the first year I went to the sales with him, he bought five at Magic Millions. So like, <laughs> And the that, last year? Oh, probably 100. 50. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Because he was, he was going on a big, steep rise at that time as well. That was around the time Darren Weir would have been. Yeah, well, it was gone. before then. I mean, Kieran got very big. He took over Moody's stable. That's right. And then he had his six months out. But then when he came back, then he ended up taking over Darren's, Weir, Darren's yeah. stable. So he got big very quick. Quickly, um, I think when I first started for him, he had 80 in work at Caulfield. And then I remember you arriving at Rose Hill. Um, must have been after a couple of years with Kieran. And, but he sent you up here to do the Sydney but, stable. But the Sydney stable was like five horses to begin with. I had in to the persuade him to let me do that. Cause I, so I, actually how it really started, I was doing the Easter sales and Lucy Yeomans, who's obviously now training, yeah. she was up here with four horses at Rose Hill. Yeah. And she, um, she, she got kicked out on the track and broke her leg really badly. It actually, she hasn't really, I think she'll tell you, hasn't really recovered properly. Yeah. It was a bad break. So all of a sudden, Kieran's got four horses up here um, and no traveling foreman. So I said, oh, well, I can stay. So I, I'd actually, it was during the middle of the Easter sale. So I was going in and doing the horses before the sales, then mm. nipping back and doing the afternoon shift. And then a lot of those horses carried on up to Brisbane. So I just, hung I kept around. getting clothes <laughs> sent up to me. I just hung around and I ended up, I didn't go back to Sydney for uh, Melbourne for two months. Um, Cause I, I think it got up to what, about seven or eight horses at Rose Hill at, at that time. Like it's yeah, sick. well that was before then. Then there was, I went back to Melbourne for about a month and then he, Kieran decided he was going to open a Sydney stable. We started with Dubious in the Breeders' Plate. Right. He was the first horse. So it was just me and Dubious. <laughs> I remember that. And it sort of just, it grew from there. Um, so how many horses 
did Kieran end up having here were you in charge of in Sydney? Well, it started off with about six in the visitors' boxes. Yeah. And then it grew to about 10 in the visitors' boxes. And then it was. And then... Gerald, we, Gerald was kind. He was giving us boxes. Um, and then Warwick Farm came. Yeah. Came and then on, we were scouting for, for boxes. And then, um, yeah. And that was sort of my job to go drive around and try and find boxes. And then we found the barn that he's still in now at Warwick Farm. Um, so it got up when I left. It, we were up to about 50, 55. And mm. so how long did you do that for, for Kieran in Sydney? A couple of years. A couple of years, two, two and a half years. And, and so so you've been on this unbelievable trajectory. You, you get off the plane, you work for Gay, you work for Kieran, you're in Sydney, you open it, the stable for him in Sydney. And next thing you know, you think I'll train on my own. Like, right. And where did, how did you make that decision that you backed yourself so young? Um, I think I... I've always, well, I, maybe, I don't think I'd actually thought about it really, but I think subconsciously I've always thought I wanted, I wanted, I might want to work someone forever. I've always been quite independent. I've always yeah. probably wanted to do something myself, whatever it was going to be. Um, and I suppose after a while, you know, during COVID, it was, I was, obviously you're always communicating down there, but it was, I just sort of thought, I think I could maybe do this on my own, which almost, you actually felt selfish even thinking that. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I've been given such a great opportunity, but I thought, I think I could have a crack at doing this myself. And, you know, boxes came up, um, real opportunity there. At um, Warwick Farm, there's a, some boxes yeah. were free and you thought, well, if I got a license on my own, I could take those boxes. Yeah, and, and I've still got that barn now. Um, and then I was lucky every time a barn came up, I'd just try and get another barn if I can You know, we grew quite quickly, but um, it was a bit of an, Oh, it wasn't as nerve wracking as you'd think because I was just, I'd been in that position where probably a lot of other people hadn't been. It was just like the best setup you could have as a trainer because we started with one horse in Sydney and it was like, right, find the boxes, find the staff. You know, Kieran would let me do all of that. He'd let me pick the staff. Let me, you almost like. You were doing it anyway. It was just like the best. It was like Grounding. just starting over all again. You know, I was trying to find boxes again, find staff again. It was like I'd done it two years ago for Kieran. When you yeah. uh, when you go when you went through that process, what was the catalyst? I mean, like you had a very good relationship with Aquas to begin with, uh, probably still do. Was that did that? Were there any external factors of people that sort of like encouraged you? Said you know we'll back you. Were there some supporters? You needed that started, some big clients. Yeah, from the start that you like. I prop. When I look back on it, they were the really instrumental to my start. Yeah, they certainly were. And they put a lot of faith into me. Um, I think they were keen to, uh, and they said they were keen to try and have a lot of their horses in one, in one spot. Mm. Um, and I ended up, you know, I ended up with Mwanga, which. A lot of pressure though. Pretty amazing. You've sort of all, a guilt feeling as well. Cause you, he obviously come from a great stable that were doing mm. a good job with him. But I think, um, you know, Mr. Fung was keen to try and give me a, a good start and they'd give me a lot of young colts. Yeah. And I think they were keen to, to sort of give me a, maybe a three-year-old to, to help give me a kick along. And, and that he did. He bad. was my first group one winner. He run the Rose Hill Guineas. He won the you. Rose Hill Guineas. Um, and he was a, I mean, he was a, a great horse, but I was just to have him and then have Zaki come along at the same time. I had two headline horses. How did you buy off Zaki? Um, so I had a couple of, guys in Melbourne that were keen, they um, were keen to contact me, said they were keen to buy a horse, probably had a budget of about um, 
sort of 200-ish, wanted to buy a tri Oz or Guineas? Oz. Yeah. Um, so I kind of contacted Stuart Bowman and said, can you find me one horse? And right the, and that was at the Tattersall's Horses in Training Sale. And the, he came up with one horse and it was, it was Zaki. <laughs> and he said, look, he's slightly lost his form, but on it, he said he's always been a really good horse. He held, I don't know if he still does, but he probably does, the, the mile track record at Epsom. He said he's a good horse and he just might be a good headline horse for you. But the reserve was 300,000, I think. And he act, but he actually ended up passing in and we got him for 150. So <laughs> ambitious reserve. He, the boys, they, they did. So the guys that said they wanted to buy a horse, it was slightly over their budget, but they, but they took three, three quarters of the horse. And, and then you had Carl. And then Carl jumped in. Carl Holtz, he's the Zaki colors, but he's yeah. tremendous. Tremendous human, like uh, the best. So when and you talk about one fifty, was that one fifty guineas? Guineas, or something? yeah. yeah. So it was about three hundred landed here, but yeah, yeah. Carl came. Carl's Carl rang me when I first started training and said, you know, I'll support you. I think he's a, did the same with you. I yeah. think like he's he's really good at supporting young like trainers, sort of young up and coming trainers, and yeah. Um, that's you know, I feel like a lot of people in this country are like that. Um, I, I agree with that. It, it's it's an incredible thing. Like I've seen. My my uncles and father, to some respect, they're the greatest at starting new training banners. But mm. I've been on board with a few of them. I've never seen the support that I got when I first started, even though I was in Scone, for people that want to help young people. Like mm. it, it, all the internationals that come over here, and that every training goes, oh, it's not that special here. But until you realise how much opportunity you get for being ambitious as a young person here. Yeah, you just can't see it. Like, well, you got Bon Ho on the hook. Well, that was produced a magic million three-year-old. <laughs> I had him. Yeah, short. I didn't So, so all of this stuff is happening. You, 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 you're you sitting there in front of me. You seem so relaxed about it, like it was natural. But when you look at it from the outside, so I think about Annabelle Nation. Well, this happened so fast. There was stuff going on, and. You became a household name, like I said in the intro, so quickly. It was like I was watching the races and all of a sudden this Annabelle Neesham's on there after every second race talking about Kieran Maher horses. Now she's gone out on her own. Now there's Group 1 winners. Did, did it need Zaki and Mwanga? Like, did it just send you on a trajectory you couldn't uh, believe? I think they massively accelerated it. Um, they without certainly a, did. Without a doubt. Yeah. You know, they were... I think I won six. I had the favorite for the Cox Plate within a year of training. Like it, yeah, and it just doesn't happen. We need you it. had we three need runners at the time. In, you don't. You had three I, runners in a Cox Plate. Yeah, but I was. Point. You're conscious at the time that you're really lucky. But now I look back on it. You know, now Zaki's not really at his peak, the peak of his powers anymore. I, have, I mean, I'm still lucky. I've got the likes of Learning to Fly and Sunshine in Paris. But mm. you know, Zaki was going around a dollar twenty in Group Ones every time he went around, mm. and it, you're. I was definitely conscious of how lucky I was, but now sort of that's slightly in the past. You're like, oh, I'd love to like, have that again. Wow, Where's that, the next one like, coming well, from? Just makes, you're like, that just, I don't, you, if a new trainer came in now and within a year was having a favourite Cox Plate, you'd be like, whoa. Yeah. But you're seeing, I mean, well, that's what more, I was trying to get. But I mean, you're seeing like Sarah Ryan's a bit the same. She's just suddenly come on the scene and she's every Saturday got a, you know, she seems to be winning a race in town every week. You know, it does, and you, and you go, wow, she's, you got to well, admit that there must be a part of you now, like because you're like on the other free side. Zaki. No, but you're on the <laughs> but you're on the other side of the fence now. You know, looking at the person that's having the really good run of luck, you can actually see it. And while a lot of people in this industry are great people, participants wise, 
there's being it's such a competitive landscape that jealousy is a big thing for participants. You must look at Sarah Ryan and go, sometimes she's winning race after race. You look at her and mm. go, Jesus, it's like it that envy gets rolls through you. And like I wonder how grounding take us through the morning of the Cox plate when Zaki ran the temperature. I'm tipping it like well, I- you can talk it maybe it might have started a bit earlier than just the morning of it. But the well, it didn't actually. No, that was really a like big shot in the stomach. But and t- all of his owners have now heard me cry. Yeah, <laughs> but it, that must have been a little bit of a humbling experience because everything had been going to script until probably that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, he was uh, after his Doom Doom and Cup win. He was favourite for the Cox Plate straight away, and he remained so until until then. And um. I got in that morning. It was really difficult during COVID to even get down there. Todd Pollard, who now runs our, our Queensland stable, he, him and, and Raf, Raphael Marcelli, was, he's gone back to France now, but he's a great fella. He, he was an ex-jockey and he came over and was riding work for us and he used to ride Zaki every day. And him and Todd, they were about to shut the borders and him and Todd just got in a car and whizzed down before the borders shut. They had to do two weeks quarantine down there and Nick, um, Nick Ryan looked after Zaki in that time. But, we got them through the border so that um, if you want your own team with your horse when it's favourite for the Cox Plate. Um, so that was sort of stressful enough build up in itself. But I think they must have slightly restricted things. Somehow I got down there for the Cox Plate and I came in that morning and we always give our horses just a little trot on race morning first thing at four o'clock. And um, I walked in and said, Todd, all good? He's like, yeah. And then... Um, I looked at him and said, you all right? And he goes, oh, Zaki's 38.5. So Which just so like, people know, 38.1 is, 38.1 to 0.3 is okay, but it's on the highest side. But they can, they're not really sick until you get about to 39. You know yeah. they're really sick. But 30, 38.5. On the morning yeah, of the Cox Plate is high. 38.3, like if, if, and we take their temps every day. So you normally have a rough, like often they'll sit around the same. I think I remember Gerald telling me Schnitzel always had a high normal temperature. Mm. Yeah, they can they can have. They're... But like thirty eight five, you're like, mm. and I'm like, are you just hot? Yeah, because they can if they get stirred up. No, he wasn't hot. He but he trotted around. He was fine. And then I I was like, mm, okay, I said he'd be fine. Let's just let him let him cool we'll off. Take it take later. Him for his trot. Took cool. So we wait an hour. Take it again. And it's thirty eight seven. And by this point, there's a guard. They have, they send these security guards to sit outside your box. And they write down everything you're doing. I mean, obviously trying to yeah. make sure you're not cheating. And they're sort of like, what are you doing? It's like taking his temperature every half an hour. And it just kept going up and up and up. And I was just like, I just didn't. And J-Mac had rang me really early. He was out on a walk. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, everything's all good. Except and I was like, except oh. the horse was 38.5. And now it's going up and up and up. I rang Dave Eustace at about seven o'clock. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Jeez. At what point did you? At what he point? said, "Just run him, he'd be right." <laughs> <laughs> but at what point did you go? I, I guess it must have been when you saw it creeping up. You're like, I knew, I knew it was, I knew it was buggered from four in the morning. Really, yeah. you just hope. I actually got about six different thermometers and was trying every <laughs> thermometer. Oh, Sometimes you can get a dodgy into thermometer. The <laughs> a broken one that's going to say thirty-seven-one. <laughs> yes. Well, you'd be amazed. Sometimes when they get old, they actually do give the wrong reading. Yeah, yeah. But, that, um, no, that is something. You always, whenever you have one, an important one that has a temp, you, the first thing you say is get a different thermometer and get someone else to do it. I bet you they did it wrong. Like you're trying to find. 
Try what and find owners anything. sometimes don't realize is we want to run the horses. That's how we're yeah. making our money. That's how, like, we don't make any money out of training. In fact, most training businesses lose money off other off, people. Off training fees. Off training fees. They, they seem, ex, they seem so high, but the react, reality is, is most training businesses rely on some of their prize money to break even. So you need to run these horses. Most trainers don't want to scratch, particularly if you're odds on and of course in a cox plate. I haven't experienced that, but I can imagine the 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 want to run would have been immense. Yeah, well it was, but then you sort of you know, and it and he got to about thirty nine, I think thirty nine yeah, one. Right. And it was just that all It's all over by then, it, isn't it? At least awful. it got up to that much though. Like imagine if it only hovered around thirty five point seven. So I I, I do pre race bloods two days out from Metro runners. We don't do it with all the runners, but certainly all our Saturday runners get a blood mm. taken mm. on a Thursday. Because then you identify whether there's a, a problem or not. And the white blood and cells weren't up. His bloods were perfect on Thursday. After we'd scratched him, we took another blood and his serum amyloid A, which is a sort of um, inflammation indicator, that was at about 250. And anyway, so we treated him. We readed a blood on Monday and it, I kid you not, it was perfect. Yeah. He just got I've a actually tiny... got, and when you take the blood, you, they're actually when they send you the bloods, um, they've always got the them on like the, all the dates next to each other, so you could see the three bloods all next to each other, and they all look perfect. Bar the one day of the cox plate, I was just like, you are. Well, I must have walked under a ladder or something. No. Yeah, <laughs> crossed that's, a cat. But that's luck, isn't it? That's, that's what horse race is all about. What happened after that? Did he run on the McKinnon or did, did you? He f- did. He won the McKinnon. He won it, And yeah. I remember. Um, would have made you feel worse. No, James oh, Road. Right. That was the week he had about 10 winners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he galloped him on, and I wasn't down there there on the Saturday, because I think it was Golden Eagle Day. He galloped him on the Saturday and he didn't gallop that well. And I said, oh, I'm just going to pull the pin. And James said, no, no, no. He said, can, can you come down on Tuesday? I reckon I want to lead on him, not sit off. And that track's too tight. And I said, okay. So Melbourne Cup day, I'm down there. And James said, I'll gallop him. But he's basically like, don't tell him. I don't want to have to do track work for anyone. It's Melbourne Cup day. I'll just sneak in and just do him. Mm. So there's James sneaking in and doing him. The horse was feeling that well by then. It jumped a shadow on the winning post. And James is half hanging off. On Raph's, Melbourne Cup Raph's on another horse next to him and like pulling him back on. James Jesus came in and said, this reptile. <laughs> Ten hours later, James has just won his first Melbourne yeah, Cup. Yeah, wow. Amazing. Like, like he could have put an end to that as well, but he nearly, nearly dropping him. But um, that was a good day. That was like a relief day. Yeah, yeah. So I think a few people were they like, were the gods oh, you're giving brave you one running back. him after a temp. But a ju- your dad might have been one of them. Actually. But it, just, it justified a lot of... It justified his favoritism in the Cox Plate. Justified all of your decisions. So, so since then, obviously your stable's grown, and and you've been buying a lot of horses. You've got a stable in Queensland. Did the clients just flow? Did what happens to people like your hot property? Like the people just emailing? Like what's going on? Yeah, I mean, sort of lucky enough to train for. Like we were saying earlier about opportunity. Like I was training for Coolmore in my first year of training, which is just unheard of in mm. in England. Yeah. You wouldn't have a first season trainer training for Coolmore. No, but you, I think people probably see you with those colours, um, and, and you know maybe they think, well, if they're happy to send her a horse, we'll you know, send we'll, her a we'll horse. We'll send one. So we got sent quite a few horses, but I maybe Kieran had been so ingrained, my, this the whole buying yearlings have probably been so ingrained into me that I go to the sale and I just buy what I liked. And I was probably a bit ballsy. 
But <laughs> I had a, I've got a girl who still works for me now, Alex Turpin, and she does all my sales, and she's fantastic. I used to do sales. And she's picking out horses and no, she's selling them. So oh, okay. well, oh sorry, you're although she starts from the office, yeah, she'd be involved in the process. Yeah. Well, she is. Yeah, she bought. She's bought one horse on her own without me, and I went mad because the. And it ended up being Libertad who won two group races. <laughs> <laughs> so is... she should probably be picking out more. But it's um And so she she takes care of the emails that are coming in and I'm interested yep. in a share and I'll take this or that or the other. Yeah. And 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 I, I wouldn't I don't think without that, you know, I'm too busy training. No, you can't. I wouldn't it. have but you wouldn't then be able to buy. I think as a trainer, I'd I think if you're a large if you're training large numbers and you're wanting to buy large numbers, you can't do it without a sales team. I think you just have to yeah, look at, but, but uh, I used to love selling at Kieran's, but I think I, I just hate it now. I hate selling. Yeah, it's not the most, it's not what people don't realize. Well, I know from yeah. trying to get if you no on the good, phone. I try and get bad. on the phone during sales time and well, it's, it's like, mate, I'll ring you back. Yeah. It's, but it's just the whole thing is, there's so many responsibilities of a trainer. And I reckon as I, I certainly knew it growing up is I thought I knew everything when I was growing up in stables. Like I was like, this, I could do this training caper. Like this is easy. I see it. But until you're the last line of defense, you're the goalkeeper, you pay for the mistakes. You just don't know how much responsibility and how much that stress weighs on you. And then going mm. have to and selling a dream while you're trying to put out fires every day for one thing mm. or another it's very hard to have that optimistic flair about you when you're trying to deal with the day-to-day -day process. But one thing that I don't think people know as much about Annabelle, but you did the Mongol Derby. Was that before you came to Australia or just before? No, or you um, I think that was just before I went to run the Sydney stable. Right. For I was midway through my time at Kieran's. So what's the Mongol Derby? It's a thousand kilometre. It's the only racer. Derby I've won. That's <laughs> what it is. Yes. <laughs> What yeah. is it? Explain what it is. Um, so it's a it's a race. Um, you actually swap horses every forty k's, but it's a thousand kilometer race on horseback across From... the Mongol Steppe on wow. Genghis Khan's old postal route. How yeah. educated are these horses you're jumping on? They actually they're all. Um, what's the name? You, what's the name of the company? The Adventurists. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did. You did the yeah. Mongol I did Rally. the Mongol Rally, which is the you drive from it's the lazy to person Mongol. version. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, kind of. I, actually I got, I got like... stuck on the Caspian Sea for two weeks, which was a bit scary. So <laughs> didn't feel that lazy then. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, they're all, it's all, you have to pay quite a lot to do it. Um, we were lucky to be sponsored by sports, but I basically said to Kieran, Kieran was keen to do it. So I said, oh. Well, he hurt himself? Yeah, he fell off Jamaica the week before and broke his leg. <laughs> so Adrian Corboy, his breaker, came in his place. But at the time I said, I'll do all the paperwork and everything. And I'll just piggyback off your famous name yeah. and get sport po yeah, points back perfect. to sponsor us. So we didn't have they they paid for it and we wore all their gear. And um they're they're big now. They but were just you, starting then. But do you ever look back on an experience like that and think like I certainly look back on the doing the the rally and look back and think, Well, I could just never find the time to do that now. And it's like an experience you'll never be able to replicate. Yeah. I'd, I actually want to do the tuk-tuk one across India. Oh, it looks amazing, Yeah, that looks it? quite good. But um, you. you wouldn't have time now, probably. Although, having said that, it, that was sort of end of July, I think early August mm. time. But it was an amazing... How many days does it take to ride a 1,000 k? Six. Six days? Yeah, six and a half. Wow. So it's about 150 plus k's a day. Yeah, you're riding from six in the morning till eight at night. 
you have to you can't ride outside those hours they track you on a tracker but all the all the nomadic herder it's you know they've all got it's all their horses they don't they're not I think a lot of them are broken in for the race. So there's not pretty, a lot of zakis in there. There's not a lot of zakis. No, they're small. They're little they're shuffly movers. They're very uncomfortable, <laughs> and the hard saddles very uncomfortable. But you pick your horse, um, and you just hope that you're going to get from A to B. But the good thing is, if it if it bolts with you, there's no fence to run through because there's no fencing anywhere. They'll get tired. It's all open. Yeah, but eventually you, they'll get tired. But your riding pedigree's obviously second to none. It's been part of your whole life. Is it important for a trainer to have amazing skills like that? You, you know, like to say myself, I can't ride a horse. And if I wanted to be a horse trainer, you just wouldn't have enough knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, but you have the knowledge of riding a horse, how a horse's feel, all those things. It's a great advantage. Oh, I mean, I'm not, it's probably a great advantage if you're a great rider. I always thought Mark Newnham, was, I was always envious that he could just jump on and gallop his horses. And I probably, I would do that when I was fit and you know I was galloping horses, but I was never. I mean, I was never a great rider. I used, but I did a lot of eventing, equestrian, yeah. sort of up to international level. I think that helped me a lot. That yeah. background because you're you're learning how to make horses go correctly. You know, bending the right way, being on the right leads. They've got to be sound horses, and fit. Yeah. They've got to gallop nine minutes over a cross country course, and then they've got to trot up sound in front of a ground jury and show be careful careful enough and energetic enough to jump around show jumps the next day. So I think a lot of those skills are definitely transferable to training in terms of horsemanship. Um, and now I love tinkering around, you know, if there's a horse that gets its head up in the air or it's got its mouth, you know, I quite like tinkering around with gear. And I've got a couple of girls that are eventers that ride for me now. And I love putting them on to go and do a bit of dressage work or they'll just get the horse going. You know, some track work riders have only ever ridden racehorses and they ride yeah. short and they perched up and they, they're great, they get them around. But these equestrian riders can actually make them use themselves a bit better. So I like having a mixture of those yeah. riders in the stable. But I th So my eventing background's probably helped with that, but probably too busy to ride now. I ride, Rob and I always ride on a Sunday morning. Because um, you haven't had enough during the week of horses that Sunday well, morning. Well, you sort of have to. The got, <laughs> riders now are like... Um, how do you explain track work riders now? Precious and <laughs> entitled. <laughs> yeah, so they don't work Sundays. A lot of them, no. the good ones, because they don't have to, because they'll go next. You know, so um, I quite like that on a Sunday morning. We but punch a few around the the um, the bull to, ring. To be fair, they're entitled to because I say entitled, but they are entitled to because it's one of the most it's one of the most acutely skill uh, like highly skilled jobs in racing is being a good track work rider. Yeah. Like it's. They, you could not pay them enough. They are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. I, yeah, I joke were, about them saying they're yeah. precious. But, but they're, that, if but they, they left, I'd, we'd be in a lot of strife. You How know? many horses can one track work rider get through in a morning? Well, Debatable. <laughs> if you, some of them say only Between six or seven. I'm like, we'll make that 10. I know in, in the country, certainly, I've seen track work riders up to 18 a morning yeah. in the country. Like. They just go one after the other. Yeah. Well, see, that's one of the things before when you talked about, oh, gee, it's expensive to train a horse. You know, like, I don't know, metropolitan fees, what, 130 a day or something? Uh, whatever. Plus, plus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so when you go, oh, well, gee, that's expensive to train a horse, but that's a 130 a day. There's a track work rider. There's people working there. There's yourselves working. 
There's fees on the boxes, all that sort we of are, stuff. It adds up. Well, it used to be as well. Wages Probably add back up. in the day, the track if track work riders were normally full time. You know, they'd they'd ride, then they'd go home, they'd do the split shift, they'd come back in the afternoon, go again, and they'd wash the horses, they'd, they'd saddle them, off, them all, they'd brush them at the end of the morning, and they were part of your of your full time crew. But now, I I assume it's the same at, mm. at Rose Hill with your team. But now the track work riders are that few and far between the good ones that. They've got it, you know, they, they can afford to just say, well, I'm only riding and they leave, they got off the last horse and they leave. So you don't then have them in the afternoon. So you've actually got to employ all these extra ground staff that come and do the afternoon shift because the riders, they don't, because there's such a shortage of them. The, you know, they've, they've, now a track rate riding job, very rarely, calling the shots. very yeah. rarely do they, you know, work afternoons now. We'll keep rolling on here, Annabelle, because we've got to come to a close soon. But, but what is in the future for you? you or you just keep rolling? Are you gay Waterhouse one day? Um, oh, I mean, yeah, that would be pretty cool to be gay Waterhouse one day. But um, look, I, I don't have, I just, we're just sort of, I suppose you said we're just bumbling along at the moment. Um, I don't have, I, yeah, I think for me, I just, group ones are what I like. Um, <laughs> I think we've probably. Would that kept, we all? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's an obvious, I suppose quality over quantity. And I've, yeah. at the moment I've probably gone a little bit the, the wrong the way. way you've got too much probably too many horses at the moment how many so, in training um how many boxes have have about, a, that's a sticky question for a big trainer we have about 40 <laughs> every every <laughs> train every zero tra- missing there every trainer who's we've interviewed no matter what size they are they say they've got 40 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so does peter moody was the best when he said he's going to come back with a boutique stable and it was 180 <laughs> before the end of the week you know it's like <laughs> but it's look the Annabelle, Annabelle's right, but you need to have quantity to get quality. Yeah, the... but there's a fine line. So, I mean, for us, we're we're very managed. We've got a fantastic team, and you're only as, you can only do what your, your team, team can, can do. do. Um, but for us, we're probably going to just slightly change our model a little bit and try and, you know, whether we reduce sort of by twenty or thirty percent, just try and reduce a little bit. And you know, because at the moment, you know, a lot of those horses that aren't going to be metro we've got an option for them in queensland yeah but then you end up growing you know so i think for us we just we'll try and make it a little bit more concise and try and aim i mean i i look at joe pride's model and he's amazing he hasn't got that many numbers but they're all i think Quality. he must just if they're no if they're not going to be saturday horses he must just get them out and get yeah, another one in to and be after, fair, must he's been take toiling a while. away for, for quite it must a take while. a while to, to get to that yeah. point um, and you do need numbers because they can come from anywhere. It must horses. be. It is sort of a. I am very envious of Joe. He's not a big yearling buyer himself. So he great, re- doesn't he, need to. I know, which is, I'd love to be in that position where I don't have to. Where they're just coming. There's to no you. debt. You're just like, yeah, yeah. I'll take you and you and you, but not. But you'd you. be a shopaholic, Will. You'd still want to go and buy something. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I know. It's going to the sales. Got expensive taste, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, you got to tell us what we're looking out for in the autumn. Now, you're under a lot of pressure because when we spoke to J-Mac before the, the spring started. What did he say? He, he was... said, there's a horse from Hong Kong called Romantic Warrior. Yeah. Absolutely Mind you, it was favourite. I know, but still fight. it did the business yeah. no yeah. matter what, no matter what. So you're under pressure. Sunshine in Paris looks great. Um, she had a setback before the Everest, which was another yeah. character-building moment. Another one, yeah. Um, Castagna, I think. Maybe being a bit overlooked in the in the slipper market. I thought she was really good, and she's only going to be better in a really high pressure twelve hundred meter race. We're only talking about the Colts this year, aren't they? Yeah, but she's got to be one of the standout fillies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and maybe of ones, one that you haven't seen, I've got an import called Mighty Ulysses. Um, really like that. So of, keep an eye out for him. The only unfortunate thing is he's come man. from John, John Gosden and it's hard to improve, improve the horse off Gosden. Do I don't need to have improved the horse though. He's already shown that he's sort of top level, but he's a good, good horse to look out for. Okay. Mighty Ulysses. Okay, good stuff. Well, Annabelle Neeson, thanks so much for your time and your generosity today and sharing your story. Let's hope there's another Zaki, Mawanga, learning to fly, dozens of them. I hope so. We'll, we'll hope. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And off to the fish market now. <laughs> Beautiful. Down <Johnny> next door. <laughs>